Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today, though, is Experiencing God. Experiencing God for real. For real. I'm fluctuating between the the titles there. Experiencing God for real, Joshua 24, 28 to 33. And I want to start off talking about a sad experience, something I saw in the news years ago. I saved the article because it was vivid. And this is a sad experience. The title is Colombian Boy Crushed by Anaconda Snake. A Colombian boy died over the weekend after being locked in a bone-crushing embrace of an anaconda snake. The victim was fishing with his father in a lake in central Tolima province when the snake, a South American boa that can grow up to be more than 20 feet long, grabbed him and pulled him into the water. They were fishing when the boy told his father a big animal had grabbed his leg, the policeman said. The father grabbed the other leg but wound up holding nothing but a tennis shoe. The policeman also said the father watched helplessly as his son was dragged down into the deepest part of the lake. The boy's body resurfaced later, the policeman said, and an autopsy showed that he died of asphyxiation caused by extreme pressure exerted around his chest cavity. Wow. Horrible, right? It's horrible, but I see the same thing happening spiritually to so many young people. Christian young people all the time. It's happening here in this country. Kids grow up in the church. They run out to junior church. They have a great time there. They go to youth group, and and they go on mission trips and retreats. They even get baptized, but then they go off to college, and their faith gets shaken and instead of battling and fighting out of that, their, their faith gets shaken and they get taken by the great serpent, the devil, and they get swallowed by the world. Now, many come back someday, but far too many never resurface. They never resurface. Now, I know some of this is inevitable because there's four soils. You know, we all know the parable of those four soils, and, and there's four soils, and, and that's going to happen. Because there's four different soils, four different kind of hearts out there. And also, each young adult must make their own decision. Either I'm going to, they got to all make their decision. No matter what we do, they got to make their decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow the world? What am I going to do? Am I going to accept Jesus or reject him? And it's also important, this, this whole process is important because it's important to transfer from their parents to a personal faith. So it is part of the process. There, a lot of times there's a wrestling and there's this trauma, the spiritually traumatic per- time, especially for us as parents, right? You know, traumatic for us watching it. But it, it's a time that they have to go through. It's just like a birth. A birth, if you've ever been there, is traumatic. And, and a spiritual birth is traumatic. When they go from their faith, or their parents' faith to their faith, it's a traumatic experience. So it's part of the process. But far too often, we as parents or as a church drop the ball. It's not always our fault, but far too often there's something that we have to do a little better job focusing on. We have to show them a real faith. And don't get me wrong, you can do it all. You can show them a real faith, you can do every church, everything, and they could still, one of the four soils, they reject it. That could happen. But, but what I want to focus on what we can do different. Because if we let them see a real faith and experience that, it will have a big impact on their life. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Joshua and the fruit that it's born in each of our lives. We pray that as we put this exclamation point on it that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read. Here we go. The last few verses of Joshua. Then jo- verse 28. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at an age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gosh. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. I want to focus on verse 31 today. Joshua served the Lord throughout the lifetime of... I'm sorry, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. We see this same echo, this verse echoed in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, starting off the next book when it says... The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. It was experienced and now it was, had seen them. They experienced God's salvation. They saw his miracles. They served the Lord, that generation. But what happened to the next generation? Generation next. What happened? Judges 2.10. Let's look at verse, verse starting with verse 10. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what had, he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods and peoples around them. They provoked the Lord in anger, to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherahs. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. Unlike their father, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. What? And if you want to, you want to know what the rest of the book of Judges is about? That. It's a continuous cycle. A continuous cycle of sin and turning away from God. And then they're disciplined by God. And then they cry out and say, help me, help me, help me. And God sends a judge to deliver them. And as soon as that happens, they go right back to their sin. It's crazy. They go right back into the toilet. Right back in. Speaking of, I'm going to tell you an embarrassing moment. 
involving a toilet. I rarely tell this story. I'm guessing most of you have never heard this one. But uh, I was in kindergarten. And I went in to go use the bathroom. And you know, in kindergarten, you remember those, those doors they had? When you turn the light on, that little red light came on. Then you knew someone was in there. And then there was a little window there the teacher could look in the check on. You know, for those who didn't have that ex- kindergarten experience, I'm explaining what life was like in western New York. But anyway, the, uh, so I go in to use the bathroom. I was in kindergarten. I leaned over and flushed the toilet. And as I was leaning back, I had reached over the toilet. I lost my balance. And I fell headfirst into the toilet. I fell into the toilet. And my arm went down the hole, you know, that hole, you know. And I'm, I got stuck in the toilet. You say, how do you get stuck? It's very slippery. I don't know if you've ever been in the toilet, but it's very slippery. Very slippery. And I'm stuck in the toilet. And, and, and the water's come back up, and I'm like... What's going to happen to me? I could not get out of the toilet. Fortunately, my teacher, Mrs. Verratti, she, uh, she's like, where'd Chucky go? You know? Well, the light, well, how long has he got to be in that bathroom? You know? You know, what is he up to now? You know? And so she comes over and she looks into that little window that only an adult could look in. And I'll never forget it. I was stuck in the toilet, the arm down. I'm looking up. I'm in the hole. And I'm hanging over. And I look, I'm looking, looking. And all of a sudden, I see her eyes. And, she, and I saw her eyes. And I was like, boing, you know? This isn't going to look good on her resume. She'll never get another job losing a kid in the toilet, right? So she comes running in and pulled me out and said, what are you doing in the toilet? I said, I'm swimming. What do you think I'm doing? No, I'm like, no, I'm like, what do you think? I'm doing? I said, I fell in and I couldn't get out, you know? And she's like, oh, okay. Then she felt bad and she's like, okay. And she dried me off, cleaned me up, you know? And she took my shirt. It was my favorite shirt. I still remember this plaid colored shirt. It was my favorite shirt. She took it. I wore it every day almost at kindergarten. And she took it. And I still wear the same shirts if you haven't noticed. But anyway, she took it and she put it over the radiator because, you know, where the, the hot air was coming out. She set it dry. And so that, but here I am walking around this, the classroom without a shirt, you know, which wasn't a big deal. I grew up on a farm, right? We always would show it. But in school, it was a big deal. All my friends were come up. Where'd your shirt go? Why aren't you wearing a shirt? And I said, none of your beeswax. You know, I gave, I just gave them the attitude because I wasn't going to tell them I fell in the toilet. I was in kindergarten. That would follow me until I graduated that story, right? I didn't tell anybody. That was embarrassing. But I'm going to tell you this. I never fell in the toilet again. (laughs) Never again. One time. But the Israelites didn't learn. You think they would learn. They just kept jumping back into the toilet. Back into the gutter. Going right back to the same over and over and over again. Why? Why did they, do we, <laughs> do this, right? Judges 17.6 is our hint. Judges 17.6, the key verse of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Some of your versions say everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's called relativism. What's right for me might not be right for you, but there's no right or wrong. We can all, whatever. It's relative. It's all, truth is relative. It's my truth. Uh, they did whatever feels right for them. Sound familiar? Whatever feels right. That's what they did. But Proverbs 14, 12 says it very clearly. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You see, there's God's way or there's our way. Our way leads to death. God's way leads to life. And that's the problem. They were doing what 
felt good to them, what seemed right. They made up their own truth as they go. It's our country, right? Welcome to America. The real issue, besides that, the real issue is they had never experienced God. Back to Joshua 24, 31. The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and all the elders who had outlived them and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. They had never experienced God personally. We must all experience God personally. And for that to happen, we as parents, big job here, and as a church, must pass on our faith to the next generation. Generation next. We have to pass on our faith. It, it, it's vital. And for that to happen, the Bible gives us some key clues here. In fact, Joshua heard what Moses said, what God told Moses in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, it's a great one, where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. You want to impress your kids? This is how. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We have to impress our kids. They have to hear about God, and they also need to see our faith lived out. They see everything, don't they? You can't get anything by kids. And just when you think you're getting past it, you have a granddaughter living with you who doesn't miss a thing either. There's no retirement. All right, no spiritual retirement. Doesn't miss a thing. And they, they see it lived out. We must all live it because faith is caught, not just taught. We do need to teach, but it's really primarily caught. We must pass on our faith, help the next generation experience God. Let them see God in our lives. Very important. But if we don't, or if they don't catch it from us, God then steps in. He has a solution to try to get their attention. Or if they're resistant to what we say, God has a way of getting their attention. God has that way. Uh, I tell my kids all the time, when they get older and if they're battling me spiritually, I finally say, you know what, here's the baton. I hand it off to God. Now it's between you and God. I'm not going to tell you. I've said it to several of my kids. I'm not going to tell you anything anymore. You are, it's between, I fought you this long. Now it's between you and God. You're going to have to work it out. But let me tell you something. His discipline's a lot worse than mine is. <laughs> he starts with a whisper. He gives a little shout. He gets out the paddle. I don't care what they say in our country. God still uses the paddle. And then it gets more intense as we go. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We've all been to that, to the, to the woodshed with God. Right? God has a solution. He will use something. And Judges, back to Judges, Judges 2, verse 20... I read it all the way up to there. It says, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, 
and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. The Lord allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Chapter 3, verse 1, these are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan, he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. God will discipline us. God will put us in spiritual battles. These were physical battles, but it's a picture. Don't forget, he will give us spiritual battles to fight. We're going to have to learn the hard way. We're gonna, he's going to test us and teach us. And he uses this to grow us spiritually, to teach us spiritually, to, to challenge us. God will give us spiritual battles. He will give us trials and temptations. It's the same word in the Greek. Did you know that? Temptation, trial, same exact word. Temptations are a form of trial. It's the same thing. He will give us trials and temptations to learn about his mercy and grace, to keep us from getting spiritually lazy to teach us dependence, to keep us living by faith. Look what happens when we, things are all smooth sailing. We don't live by faith. We start living in the flesh, don't we? And, and we forget God. And God knows what it takes. He knows what we need in our life. We see this in Judges. He knows some temptations. Think about when you became a Christian. Some temptations just, poof, disappear. Gone. That was easy. You know what I'm talking about? But other ones we thought were gone, were not gone at all, all right? Others linger indefinitely. You know what I'm talking about. Linger indefinitely. God knows what it takes to keep us battle ready. God's discipline. He disciplines us. Maybe we've opened windows and doors and, and we've gotten lazy and God uses that discipline, that spiritual battle to wake us up and grow us up. That's what God uses. What is God using in our lives to wake us up? What is he using in our life to teach us warfare, to keep on fighting spiritually? Will we submit to God's discipline? Will we persevere through to God's purposes? James 1, 2-4, we've heard this one before. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything hmm. we probably could camp out on that one for a while couldn't we i uh started a skin treatment a lot of people think wow well, you've been at the beach i haven't been at the beach uh i have a red face for a reason uh by next week it's going to look like leprosy all right, just warning you. I don't have leprosy, but, but uh, I, I have skin damage. And instead of every time I go to the skin doctor, they burn off a spot. You know what I'm talking about? Burn off a spot. She said, it's going to be a lot easier if we just deal with this. Put this chemo cream on it. And it takes a couple of weeks and then another couple of weeks of healing. And then you're done. We don't have to keep burning off these spots all the time. Those of you who have skin problems know what I'm talking about. So I said, okay, I'll try it, not realizing exactly what's going to happen. Uh, but but it, what this does, this cream that I put on, this chemo cream, it exposes potential cancer. Not cancer, but potential. So wherever you see a red spot on my face this week, next week, whenever you see me, those are potential cancers. 
And that's what the cream does, is it exposes that, which is exactly what God does through his word. Right? That's what the word, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It penetrates. That's what the word of God does. It exposes this. And just as I had sun damage, I grew up on a farm and I was out in the sun a lot. I love being out in the sun. Uh, you know, years ago I stopped, like 30 years ago I stopped because I realized what was happening to my skin. But sin damaged my skin. And that's what sun damaged my skin. And that's what sin does to us. We think it's fun. We're out there and we don't think it's bothering us, but we don't realize that it's really whatever actions we're doing that goes against God's word because God doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. Whatever we're doing, that it, it, it damages us. It damages us. And it takes time to burn out these, this skin. This, I can't just put the salve on once and I'm done. No, 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 no. You know, hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll do it. But it takes time to burn it out with, the, with the, the cream. And the same thing with God's word. It takes time to burn the sin and the wrong attitudes and the, 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 the conform to this world to be transformed. It takes time for the word and the Holy Spirit and God's discipline discipline to work. You know, you know what I did? There, there's a, there's a, two creams. You put on the one cream and it makes a mess of your face. You put the other one on and it heals you. Well, I did the wrong one first. All right. Two weeks, nothing happened. I said, I got perfect skin. Called the doctor. I said, nothing happened. I guess I'm okay. He said, uh, I have a question. Did you use the wrong one? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I can't believe I did it. She goes, it happens more than you think. I go, yeah, but it happens to me all the time. I go, and Kim was giving me a hard time. I go, well, you know you're supposed to give me my medicine. I can't handle that. So she has to run the whole house. But I put on the healing cream. Didn't help me. And that's a lot of times we become a Christian. And we think, oh, I accepted Jesus. I'm all better, right? It's good. And we just claim these great verses of how I'm, life's going to be perfect. Well, <clears throat> got to use the chemo cream first before the healing can happen. We have to go through God's discipline. We have to deal with the strongholds and the sin in our life first. We still have lots of joy and purpose and all that, but we got to deal with that first before we can put on the healing word, the healing words and the blessings that we want to claim. we got to go through that time spiritually. Very, very important. Very important. And it's tempting. You know, I was about five days into this, and it was starting to really... I didn't even put it on this morning because it really lights me up. You know, I turned really red. And I was like, I'm not going to put it on. I'll wait till I get home from church. But, but I was like, I should just quit. You know, that's probably fine. I did long enough, you know. I'm going to put on that other good cream again. And I was like thinking about it. I'm like, no, i got to go through it. i got to go through it. Why? I can't stop now. There's no shortcuts. You can't rush it. I read about it. you got to go through it. And it's the same thing spiritually, isn't it? We're tempted I'm gonna get out of this marriage. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna drop this job. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. You know. I'm gonna do. You know. I'm gonna quit fighting this temptation. I'm gonna stop talking to this person. You know what I mean? You know. And and we take those 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 shortcuts, but we're missing something. Perseverance must finish its work. We have to go through it. We got to keep taking it. Very very important. Are you ex are you? Go, going through something that God wants you to go through so you can get to the healing time. Are, you, are we experiencing God fully? Are we experiencing him daily through the word and through, the wor through prayer and through the Holy Spirit's power and through, this is key, witnessing? 
If you are not sharing your faith, you are not experiencing God fully. Chuck, do I got an amen on that? All right? Because Philemon 1.6 says this. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ Jesus. Could do a whole sermon on that one, couldn't we? If you're not active in sharing your faith, you are not fully experiencing every good thing God wants you to experience. I can't, I can't explain it. You can only experience it when you share your faith. Whatever the person does, whether they throw a tomato at you, whether they, you lead them to Christ, and everything in between, doesn't matter. It energizes you spiritually. It's crazy, isn't it? Something triggers. The Holy Spirit moves and you experience. It's like this, this new awareness. It, it, it's, it's crazy how it happens. This spiritual power. Are you experiencing God fully and daily? The ladies are doing a Bible study called Experiencing God by Blackaby. Uh, and, and the whole premise of this book, don't wanna, I'm going to spoil the end of the movie for you, but the whole idea is, is that, that God is always working. He's always communicating. He's always moving in our life and in us and through us. He's always doing that. And you have to learn to see it and, and, and get on board with what he's trying to do. He's always at work. And, and I, I put the title of that book in the bulletin for the bottom because, man, don't miss out. Everybody, get the book. Do a family study. Read it for yourself. Pass it on. It's awesome. It's all, it's all in the bulletin there. Get in the group. It's an awesome study. Maybe here today and you've never really experienced God because you're not a Christian yet. Because first, we have to put our faith in Jesus Christ to really experience God. John, John, and Jesus told uh, Nicodemus this in John chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to what he says to him. Nicodemus was a religious teacher. He was a doctor. He was a PhD. He was everything. Religious expert. But he wasn't something very important, which we're going to see. He says here, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can, be, can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. I run into people all the time. I'm a Christian. I'm just not a born-again Christian. I always say, you must be born again. Because if Jesus said you must be born again, and if we're not born again, we're not a Christian. Don't use that name. We must be born. It's a spiritual birth. And Nicodemus in verse 9 said, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. He couldn't get it. But John 3.16 lays it out as clear as can be. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? God gave his son Jesus to die on a cross in our place to take our punishment, every sin we've ever committed. He died so that we would, could be forgiven and have a brand new life with God. He rose from the dead to show that he's going to give us the power to live that brand new life and live with him forever. It's proof of that promise. His resurrection, have you, but the first step is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. To so say, God, I believe Jesus died for me. 
I repent of that sin. I want to be forgiven because I'm putting my, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus, my trust, my hope in him to make all that happen. I give my life to Jesus. Have you ever taken that step? That's the first step to truly experiencing God. If you've never done that, the rest is white noise. Have you ever done that? Are we passing on our faith to our kids and to others? Are we discipling people and mentoring them? Who? Who, who are you focusing on? And maybe you need to be discipled and mentored. Maybe you're a newer Christian. You need that. Talk to me. Boy, we're getting it lined up. Pastor Zach's got it all worked out. We're going to really get everything fired up again. A lot of people are equipped. Uh, but, but if you want to be connected and, and get that, talk to me. Um, our kids. Are we passing on to our kids? They need to see the Holy Spirit at work in our life. We need to be watching them and look to see how the Holy Spirit is making himself real in their life. We have to be watching our kids. And how is the Holy Spirit making himself real in our kids' lives? We have to be watching that. In many ways, one of the primary ways is through discipline. We discipline our kids, but also God disciplines our kids. James 1, 2 to 4, he does that with our, our children, right? And it's very important that we let them go through that discipline process. We need to let them struggle. <laughs> it's okay. We struggled, they can struggle. Don't be a helicopter parent. There's a lot of spiritual helicopters out there too. Constantly rescuing or constantly telling the kids what God's you know, in their face. You know, helicopter. We don't be a helicopter parent. Do gently encourage them. Gently, at the right time, encourage them. Help them to see what God is teaching them, how he's growing them. But if they're, if once they're adults, wait till they ask you. They got to learn on their own. Don't keep, I see parents who have grown children. Keep telling them what this and telling them what that. Trying to parent them. Stop it. Stop it. Let, let, it's between them and God. Don't rescue them. Don't rescue them. What if you always rescue your child? You stunt their growth. What if you always, every time they have a big project and they didn't do it and they got to that tomorrow, what do parents do? I'm going to go do the project. They do it for them. That's, that's, you've just hurt them. Every time they go through a hard time, you rescue them or you pull them out of what, whatever. That's, that's stunting their growth. They'll be emotionally and spiritually stunted. Let them wrestle. Let them struggle. It's okay. Let them fail. Let them get back up on their feet. Let them learn to turn to God instead of to us. Very, very important too. Very, very important. New Hope Community Church is trying to partner with you as parents. We're, we're, we're trying to help you do this. That's why we have a Sunday School Junior Church. That's why we have youth group. That's why we pay the big bucks to our youth pastor. He's not here so I can uh, say that. Uh, that's why we, we do all this. In fact, I asked Zach to share, but he's at a retreat today, so he said he'll write me a little note here. Okay, so uh, he's going to write a note telling, giving you what he's trying to do and want to get you partnering with him. Uh, he starts off by saying, Hi, everyone. Uh, first of all, I just want to say what a great senior pastor Chuck is to work with. Uh, it's a dream. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. All my youth pastor friends are jealous. Okay, thank you, Zach. Thank you. I'll skip over the rest of that part. But anyway... Uh, He's not here, you know. So, uh, he says, youth ministry this year is transforming with a Noah's Ark mentality. If you build it, they will come. Through our partnership with the Community Church of Lambertville, and we have the opportunity to host youth ministry events in their gymnasium. This opens up doors to host 
Outreach events and activities that should draw in new students. The students will also participate in a work weekend, winter camp, summer camp, and a week of service over the summer. Lots of ministry. The most exciting of all these changes has to be the spirit of the students. The students will be forming a student leadership team to plan outreach and service, and there really is an excitement that's encouraging. All the progress is very encouraging, and we really feel that the Lord is setting the stage for a great work, but we still could use your support through prayer, financing, and volunteers. If you feel the Lord calling you to give, please talk to Zach and how to do that. As we mentioned, we are building a ministry for growth, much like Noah did for the ark, and if you feel the Lord calling to serve, please let him know. Blessing, uh, Pastor Zach. And so you see so many exciting things going on. Uh, ministries. It's vital for us as parents to encourage and prioritize. Very, very important to prioritize. Uh, I, I'm not going to go there. Prioritize and and invite their, get them to invite their friends. Very because when they invite friends, they love going too. Invite their friends. It's a great way to reach out. Um, it will have a huge impact. Uh, and I'm just going to have uh, Mike, my son Mikey, who uh, some of you know him as Michael. But anyway, Mikey uh, just came back from a six-week intensive discipleship thing at Camp Haycock, which is super. I'm going to let him share a little bit just about how, what an impact these ministries can have on our, our young people. So. All right. so I did the LGP program at Haycock Camping Ministries. It's a leadership growth program. And what it is, it's a six-week program that's broken down into two sections. The first three weeks is called Hardship, and as you can tell by the name, it's hard. Um, the next three weeks is apprenticeship, where we're just serving the camp and the campers and counselors and everyone. So hardship. The daily day was we woke up at 5.30 in the morning, but we did not know what time we were waking up because we were not allowed to know any future events or time. And if we did ask any of those questions, we'd get push- push-ups. We also got hats that said LGP. And these hats, they told us, were our babies. And if we lost them... We get a big punishment. So we wake up, we go on a run, and we come back, then we go swim, and then we go run back to our campsite, and we do our personal devotions. To that, we go have some breakfast, then we go to do work crew for a few hours, but we had no, no idea what, how long we were doing it for. Um, after a work crew, we would go to lunch, after lunch, um, we would have off our feet time, which was like an hour of rest for us. And after rest, we have our big Bible study together where we would talk about our morning devotions. After that, we go have a team building exercise where they have us try to function as a unit and work well. And one of the things was getting a tire off a big pole, and we couldn't do it. Very frustrating thing. So after our team building stuff, we have dinner. After dinner, we have sports, have some fun. After sports, they would bring in someone either from the camp or who used to work at the camp and come talk to us. Very encouraging thing. Give us a nice Bible study. After Bible study, we go to bed. And yeah, that was a daily day for week weeks one and two. Weeks one and three, we did that. Week two, we went on a 40-mile hike and then a 35 to 40 mile canoe trip. So Sunday we leave for the hike, about a two hour drive. We go on the Appalachian Trail, we're hiking all day, all night, very little food. And what we really had to do 
was trust our leaders and rely on God that whole time because we had very little food. So we, um, we ran out of food on Thursday, and we had to really trust our leaders to say we're going to get through this and all this stuff. And, yeah, and relying on God, um, the trip was very hard. We had little water, little stops to refill our water. And just relying on God was a big thing for strength every single day. Just a big factor in getting through that whole program was the biggest thing I learned was how to rely on God and really experiencing God. And experiencing God during the hiking trip was the biggest thing I did was felt all week, and on one Tuesday, they left us. They each gave every one of the LGPers a spot in the woods, and they left us there for 24 hours. And thing about that, how I really experienced God there was there were no distractions at all, just nothing. I was there by myself. I had my Bible. I was in my shelter I made, and I was just really feeling God during that time. And so, yeah, we finished the hiking trip, then we go on the canoeing trip, and we really, this was a big moment. We really got to know each other. It was a great bonding, bonding experience, and it was very good. After that, week three, um, it's like the same as week one, that same schedule. Friday morning was the big 10-mile run to finish it off, basically. I couldn't do it because I had a stress fracture in my foot. Um, but I ended up swimming 80 laps the last day of LGP, which was like over two miles. And during apprenticeship, we, I was in the kitchen the first week, and this really taught me was self-discipline and serving others, no matter how much you dislike it. And what we were doing was we, would, we had the busiest week that week. We had like 150 people to serve. So we're setting up tables, cleaning dishes, Preparing the food for everyone is very, very tiring thing. We did that like all day. And then week two, I was a counselor, and that was my favorite part. And the biggest thing was the, I, when I was experiencing God, was the impact the counselors had on the kids. Because I noticed what you would do as a counselor, they would copy you. So every night during week three, um, we'd do these three-on-ones where three of the counselors would talk to one of the campers and talk to, them, talk to them about their week and do they, are they a Christian, do they know God, have they ever gone to the camp and all this stuff. And I was really experiencing God there because I really felt that he was pushing us, the counselors, to really evangelize these kids. And just all this, um, this pressure from God to really talk to these kids about him. And... It was a great success. Two of the kids were saved that week. It was very cool to see. And yet week two, I mean week five, being a counselor, really just God pushing me to impact kids and pushing me to share the gospel with these kids and always being a good example because of how they always copy you, what you do. And last week I was in work crew. And our job was to build a super fire, which was 20 feet tall, I think. And it ended up falling during the fire. So, And what we did every morning was a morning prayer where we would meet in the pavilion and pray over the camp, 
One of the days we walked around the camp, prayed over specific activities and all this stuff. And every day during apprenticeship, we had a Bible study, very in-depth Bible study for a few hours. And that was really good. Um, we really got to learn more about God and know how to share our faith and defend our faith during that experience. And the biggest takeaways I have from LGP was self-discipline was a big thing because before going in as LGP, I wasn't very self-disciplined. I really built on that. And reliance on God was the biggest thing I learned because before that, I wasn't really relying on God for anything unless I really needed something. So I really learned to trust God in every situation, like waking up every morning saying, if I'm not going to pray to God and ask him for strength and rely on him throughout the day, I'm not going to get, it's not going to be a fun day. The next was trusting in leaders was very important because not knowing any of the future events was very hard to deal with. So we always had to trust our leaders no matter what and do what they say right away. Like when they tell you to do something, just do it. And that's what I really carried over carried over from LGP and another one was working and supporting as a group I'm not I'm more of an introvert type of person I don't like working as a group I like to do things myself so that was really hard um, functioning as a unit and being patient with each other and that's another thing I learned was patience yeah patience was a big thing I learned uh, responsibility was the last biggest thing I learned like when they gave us the hats you had to be very responsible. And then also we had to remember Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and that was a great icebreaker for us because there are so many verses in that passage that it was just part of everyday life, struggles, sins, being, the life of being a Christian and all that stuff. And, yeah, that's it. That was LGP. Very hard stuff. Learned a lot. There's still a lot more stuff I could have said, but that's it. One of many ways that we can help our kids experience God, huge impact, huge impacts. We must help the next generation experience real faith to know it and live, to know the word and to live the word. It will make the difference between, it will make the difference between being swallowed by the world or survival. That's the difference. If we let them see it and know the word and live it and use it, that will be the difference between being swallowed by the world and survival. And I'm just going to end with this story of, of a, a happier snake ending story, really. It was, came from a book. Uh, Sophie Mueller, who was a missionary in Columbia back in mid-1950, uh, she wrote a book called His Voice Shakes the Wilderness. It's an amazing book. If you haven't read it, it's a great book. But there's a story in it that I've never forgotten. In fact, I looked it up here for the sermon because I remembered it. There was a boy, she was sent one of the boys that she was ministering to out in the, the tribes. Uh, he was out hunting, and I think it was wild turkey, some kind of a bird. He was out hunting, he had a bow and an arrow. He was out hunting, he climbed out of his canoe. He climbed up on this log over the, like the river there, and he starts walking along the log. He sees this fowl of some kind, he's going to shoot it with his arrow. And just as he's getting ready to shoot, he felt something grip his ankle. Vice-like grip on his ankle. He looks down... And it was a huge boa, a huge boa. 
who had grabbed him, and now the hunter has become the hunted. Grabs him, starts wrapping around him, and he's fighting. He drops the bow and arrow, and he's fighting, fighting, but the snake is so big and so powerful, there's nothing he can do. And it's starting to squeeze him, and he's wrapped on this log there, and he's fighting it, and nothing he can do. And he sees that his machete is in the canoe right underneath, but he can't reach it. And he's trying to reach it and trying to reach it. And and basically, just before he passes out, because the snake is really putting the the squeeze on him now, he just gets his fingers around the machete. With his last breath, starts hacking away at his ankle, hacking away at his ankle. He gets the snake on the head. Starts hacking and he starts cutting. He's in a frenzy. He ends up severing the snake's head. Still latched onto his ankle. The body falls into the canoe, almost sinks it. It's a huge little canoe, but a huge snake. And it just lands in there. And the kid is exhausted. And, and, and he survived. He survives. Why did he survive? Because of the machete. He had it. He had that knife. And he knew how to use it. He knew how to use it. Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's why we sent Mikey on this discipleship, Camp Haycock. It's an awesome ministry there. That's why the youth group is all about. That's what our church is all about. Every one of us, knowing the Word and knowing how to use it, how to fight with it, is the key to our survival. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, we always have a prayer team up front. That If you ever need prayer during this time, during the worship, at the end of the service, people come up and get, they'll be here. They'll stay through lunch. They'll stay and pray with you. There's always a prayer team. But with this prayer time, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us today? As Christians, are we experiencing God for real? Is our faith real every day? Not just on Sundays, but every day. What is God using to grow us in our faith? Maybe the last thing we want, something burning our face, you know, leaving marks, exposing things we don't even want to see. What is God using? Are we passing on our faith by really living it and really sharing it? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? And while we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. But today is the day to take that step. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the only way to really know God and really experience God and his power and his purpose and his peace for your life, for our lives. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. It's between you and God. The prayer of faith. God, I don't want the sin anymore, the garbage, the lies. I repent. I turn away. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith 
in Jesus. Who died for me, who rose again from the dead for me. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, something incredible has happened inside of you. It's going to take you all of eternity to really fully understand and appreciate and experience it. But the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is living inside of you. And you can now experience God any second of the day. He is there for you. He wants a close, loving relationship with you. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you put your faith in Jesus so that we can help you and encourage you and be excited for you. Definitely excited. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Text call. Tell someone. Maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Maybe you don't know anybody. Just tell someone. They're going to be excited, I promise. Father, I pray that every one of us would experience you in a a whole new way this week. Through your word here, in Jesus' name, amen.